And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement on this beautiful day in the Tampa Bay area. The show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We're the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it properly, correctly, stress-free, three-legged stool, called a trifecta, holy trinity, whatever floats your boat. It's illegal. It's planning and it's an investing. And we can show you how easy it is. Everyone in our office has a professional designation in a specific category. We love what we do. We take pride in what we do. And we're just as concerned about your retirements as our own. Come and see us. We have offices in Tampa, Sarasota, and in Washington, D.C. on K Street. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's Graham Capital advisors.com. All right, let's get a couple of fun facts out here. We're going to try to get a lot going on. Stosh Graham is already waiting for us. Here's a, here's a fun fact of the week. If you have a net worth of $93,170, you know what? You're richer than 90% of the world. Here's another quote. It's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep, how hard it works for you, and how many generations you can keep it. I like to say it's mine, but it's not. It's Zig Ziglar. Crime of the week. We always have to show you a federal crime because people look these things up, and I want to make sure the feds don't get you. It's a federal crime to sell frozen raw breaded shrimp unless the tail fins are removed. Dun, 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 dun. 47 years ago, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, they created created Apple. And Jimbo, online, we also have the infamous James Burlander. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Okay, let's go to our mailbag. What do we got? Perfect. There? We have uh, we've got three in the bag today. So first up, Lil in Sarasota. She writes in, with all the bank failures I've been hearing about, should I be thinking about somewhere else to keep my money? Maybe the mat- mattress or something. Yeah, open up that light socket in the wall and put it in a Chevis Regal bag and hide it, huh? Uh, Lil, banks are safe. Insurance companies are safe. Or at least they should be. And if you're concerned, if you're concerned about where you're investing your money now and you think there might be something behind the wall that you're not aware of, then come and see us. And we'll be happy to check out where you want to make your investments. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. But let me just say this. Yes. Our country is going to be going through our economy, major transformation very soon. At least that's what got, that my gut, it tells my gut. But the reality of it is now, if you're smart, you're not going to lose any money. Good question. What else you got there? All right. Next up is uh, Tommy over in Clearwater. He writes in, I'm hoping to retire in about two years when I turn 57. My wife doesn't think it's feasible, but I think it can be done. What do I need to consider before retiring at a relatively young age? Well, Tommy, the first thing I'd ask is, how does your wife feel about it? Maybe she doesn't want you around the house. Um, the main question is, 
Where's your income going to come from? You're too young for Social Security. I mean, do you have a pension of some sort? Uh, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, defined benefit plans, Roth IRAs, pension and profit sharing plans. I mean, where's the money going to come from? Got to be. You need to be 62, unless you have a specifically a pension that you could draw on right away. So that's a very good question. Um, sure, you can retire, but what are you going to live on? That's what we need to know. And if you're not sure, and your wife's not sure that you know what you're doing. Both of these come in to see us, and, and let's get the old pad out with pluses and minuses, what you're spending and how much you're going to need, and let's see if you can do that. Maybe you can retire. Go to our website. It's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. Got one more there, Jim? Yep, one more. So Howard in Tampa, he's a big fan of the podcast. He loves all the details that you give out each week. He writes in, I don't understand why the government is forcing me to take money out of my IRA when I don't need it. Simply because I've reached a certain age, why is this happening? Hmm. Well, Howard, you know, back in the year 2000, our national debt, you can believe this, was $850 billion. Here it is, 2023, and it's pushing $31, $32 trillion. Government is broke, and you're going to see one law after another where they will be able to tax you sooner or more often simply so they can get revenue coming in. They're having a hard time paying down the interest on the debt. That's what this is all about. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get progressively worse as we go on. And if you have a concern about where you're going to be getting your monies and the taxes you're paying, again, that's what we're here for. Website is GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, we have Stash Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We got, you know, we're getting one question after another, Stash, like just the email that came in. People are concerned that their banks are going to go out of business. They're going to lose their money. Uh, they're afraid to keep anything in the markets. You know, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And it always kind of frustrated me a little bit because I used to call that the chicken little effect with clients. You know, they worry about everything. You know, what about what I saw on the news? What about the article that I just read? My account is down. We don't need to, don't we need to blow up everything and start all over again? When you have people like that coming in, how do you help them? How do you assuage their concerns? How do you make them feel a little better? Yeah, I mean, look, the you you certainly had a degree of bank contagion uh, over the last few over the last few weeks. You saw a lot of deposits leave banks and and largely go to uh, the guaranteed systematically important or the government systematically important banks, or also known as the too big to fail banks. Uh, I think what was actually probably telling is talking to bankers uh, at some of these larger regional banks last week. So, again, really the hoopla was three weeks ago. Then you saw a knock-on effect two weeks ago. I think a lot of bankers wanted to see, are you going to continue to see that downdraft out, deposits out of banks last week? And you did see deposits continue to flow out of banks uh, last week. And that was not a great sign for bankers. Now, this phenomenon of deposits leaving banks has been in place now for over a year. Why? people see the low interest rates they are getting at their banks. This isn't a solvency question about banks. This right. is, hey, inflation is 55 to 6.5%. Just four or five months ago, it was over 9% annually. Uh, you know, I need to be making 
I need to get every dollar I can out of every asset I own. And so if I have a half a million dollars and the bank is paying me 0.2% and I can go get a government money market account paying four and a half, I owe it to myself and my family to go get that four and a half percent since the risks are the same. Uh, And so, again, I think this is still a larger issue. Banks, look, they have been provided. The government has said they are going to provide a guarantee uh, to protect uh, uh, deposits. That's fine. So banks, by and large, the deposits are going to be safe. But banks themselves have questions because they have all of these losses, these unrealized losses on their asset, on the asset side of their balance sheet, which is where the Silicon Valley Bank situation got uh, 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 magnified because some people noticed that they had a tremendously large uh, unrealized losses on their assets that could be solidified if people start pulling their deposits. Because if you pull deposits from banks, then they have to pull back on the asset side of their balance sheet. So they have to sell these loans at losses, which then impairs their equity because banks are are levered, very levered entities. For every $1 equity, you could have 10 to $13 worth of debt right. uh, or assets. So again, it's, it's a very... It is a, a, a very levered system that if a couple people now on social media put out, hey, this bank could fail, this has negative equity, uh, and it causes a bank run, uh, again, the, the aspects of social media to magnify these, these developments with the technological advancements of people being able just to do a couple clicks from their couch to move money, it does, it's going to put – and banking executives are still very concerned. Things have not settled in the banking industry. I know the markets have kind of settled out a little bit from the shock two to three weeks right. ago, but I could tell you in conversations with multiple <clears throat> banking executives uh, and, and, and employees, this situation has not abated. It has slowed down, but the slow bleed of deposits out of banks has caused them to look to alternative measures about what to do with these assets that have these material un, uh, unrealized losses. Well, you know, it, every, Stash, everything is changing now. You know, just like you, you have an iPhone that gets old and needs to be replaced, and the way people think about retirement is, is obsolete, that needs to be replaced. And in my lifetime, my generation, you know, there are rules that we used to follow. And, and, and tell me, I'll give you a few of these rules, tell me if they're outdated or not. You know, there used to be the 4% rule. It used to be that the Wall Street standard that you could take out 4% out of a balanced stock bond portfolio each year without worrying about running out of your, your money. Then, uh, then you had, let's say, the, the, the 10-5-3 rule. Uh, the 10-5-3 rule stated that over time, you can expect a 10% return from stocks, uh, 5% from bonds, and 3% maybe return on your cash. Uh, as you get older, you would move from stocks to bonds as you get older, when you're in, maybe in your 80s and 90s. But it's not that simple today. How do you tell people how to invest properly. Is there any kind of a simple format that will explain to people what works and what really doesn't work with inflation sky high right now or national debt where the government's, you know, increasing the, our taxes day in and day out? I mean, how do you deal with this? Is there what rules of what, what, how do, what do you recommend to your clients? Right. So, you know, you stated before about the, uh, 
you know, the 4% rule, which was really one that had been in play for like, the, I would at least say the last 20 to 30 yeah. years. I think that has come into question the last couple of years when you have interest rates less than 1% on a 10-year U.S. Treasury. Now, you've certainly seen interest rates move higher. Uh, and so I would say 4% is now back to being a standard uh, percent that you could take without cannibalizing your, your assets, which is a primary concern for a lot of people in retirement. Uh, sure. But what is the measure or what is the variable that people should be watching to determine whether 4% is a realistic number or not? And I think it's a combination of really two things. You want to look at the bond market. You want to look to see what a, what a three to six year corporate investment grade corporate bond is paying. You pair that with what the U.S. Treasury is paying, say, over 10 years. So the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which was over 4% of a couple quarters ago, now is down in the low threes. Corporate bonds, their interest rates have gone higher. Uh, say six or seven months ago, you had corporate bonds, and it was somewhere right around uh, 5-ish percent. Now, if you look, you could get corporate bonds at 55 to 6%. So right. I think you take a, a meld, you take you could discern your own weighting to the 10-year U.S. Treasury and, say, a five-year investment-grade corporate bond. I would say 4% is still a realistic number for people. And I know that might disappoint the listener because the retort or the proper retort would be, well, 4% is going to cut it. CPI came in last month at 55 and you know what I'm seeing in the grocery stores tells me closer to 10, and they wouldn't be wrong. Uh, but I think this is one of those periods where you say, hey, look, uh, this, these excessive inflationary pressures, while they might be elevated and, and certainly will maintain some degree of an elevated level, it is going to continue to come lower in the coming months. And I know that might be hard to believe because of recency bias. Uh, but it is going to come down. Our leading inflation indicators continue to show a abrupt drop in inflation. Now, with all that being said, there are supply-side constraints that is going to prevent our consumer price index or our personal consumption expenditure index, uh, both our inflation measures. The, the Federal Reserve has a long-run inflation target of 2%. I do not believe we're going to get to 2%. I do believe, say, by the next spring of 2025, provide there's no explanation or uh, 2024, provide there's no uh, 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 provide the conflict in Ukraine and war and related sanctions against Russia, which impacts their natural gas and and, and food, uh, their the breadbasket of the world. They provide grain, wheat, fertilizer, potash. Again, very important. Um, uh, 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 very important products that have knock-on effects to, say, food prices, uh, independent mm -hmm. of their energy uh, products that they provide the world. But as long as there's not an escalation there where further supply is curbed, you're going to see, I think, inflation get to the 3 to 4% level. It's going to sit somewhere right around there. Um, but that's still 100% higher than what the Federal Reserve's target is. So again, you're going to see a degree of normalization with inflation. Uh, demand is coming down pretty materially. The Federal Reserve acknowledged that itself. I mean, they're 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 not. The Federal Reserve is never going to say that a recession is here until it's already happened and we're months into a recession. And they have not admitted to a recession yet. But if you right. actually look at 
the Federal Open Market Committee's most recent meeting and you look at the minutes and you look at their projections, it's hard not to see that there's going to be a recession taking it's just it's going to be hard for us to avoid a recession this year in 2023 if it already hasn't started you see these incongruities like for example the they're they're surprisingly new home new homes went up i guess an eighth eighth of a point they uh, did last last month but on the other hand explain this to me they went up an eighth of a point but in previously owned homes in the u.s have the prices have fallen now for the first time since 2012. So how it can has. you explain this? So I think some of this is you have two two competing forces. One, you have a structural undersupply of homes, while you have at the same time a a a larger base of people who are buying homes who are entering the home buying market for the first time. Think about those kids in their or in their early 30s, early to mid 30s that are first-time home buyers. Maybe you get a few people in their up, upper 20s uh, who have financial means, but you have a lot of people now who are entering the family formation stage uh, against the backdrop of significant undersupply production post-great financial crisis. I mean, we went through the 2010s decade with very below average, below historical norm. Uh, a new home creation by home builders because they were smacked through the great financial crisis. Um, so you have that dynamic, which does provide, in my opinion, a floor, a elevated floor, maybe compared to consensus, uh, versus mortgage rates that were darn near 8% just a few months ago. Uh, they are right. starting to come down. I think you're going to see mortgage rates continue to come down. But the important dynamic is Credit tightening, and this is going to be the big story for the summer because you're seeing this develop. We just talked about banks and bank solvency uh, over the last few weeks. Credit and credit availability, the tightening of loan standards from banks is going to be very material. It has seen already, it was already increasing the last five or six months. That is only going to accelerate as banks need to really manage the loan side, the asset side, a loan, again, for a bank, when a bank makes a loan, that is an asset to the bank. It's a liability for you, but it's an asset for the bank. They're going to have to manage the asset side of their balance sheet very closely when you have deposits leaving uh, uh, their respective banks. Well, with all of this going on now, I mean, obviously we're looking at a, a turmoil going on. What do you recommend to clients? Uh, I mean, I would say if you're going to invest in the stock market, you need to be very specific about a company. If you have certain sector knowledge and you feel very comfortable uh, in investing in a certain sector, and look, if you spin, you know, if you've worked in an industry for 10 to 15 years, uh, uh, you probably have a pretty good feel on a given sector. And look, if your sector has been punished and you say, hey, look, my business isn't being affected. You know, this represents a good buy time. Hey, go for it. I would not broadly put money in the stock market. Uh, if I were to allocate money broadly in the stock market, it would not be in the S&P 500. I'd probably look to more smaller cap companies, but that's inherently more volatile because these are smaller cap companies. But when you look at valuations, it's interesting to see, David, the separation of forward-looking valuations. The S&P 500 right now 
is trading at 19 over 19 times forward earnings for 2023 for the rest of this year over 19 times earnings that is right. a standard deviation above the historical norm of just over 15 times earnings you look at the s or you look at the small cap index the russell 2000 they're trading a standard deviation below the historical norm uh, and again, now you could argue why that is. Maybe the the rebound from COVID, uh, the the punishment on businesses on small caps were probably exacerbated during COVID. And COVID during COVID, capital markets were largely shut off, and a lot of the government assistance plans went to larger cap companies. Uh, that combination of open credit markets is important during times of stress. Large businesses have it. Smaller businesses struggle to get it. Um, so you are seeing a separation broadly amongst certain types of companies, but I would find it very tough to invest in a market right now where the recession has not been declared and or the recession is not showing up in the coinciding economic indicators, which continue to trend to a slight positive bias, slightly positive yeah. numbers where leading economic indicators have been negative now for eight months and continue to fall. Uh, eventually, the coinciding indicators will have to show a degree of weakness and contraction, and that's what's going to spark the next wave of the market sell-off. Do you see that happening sometimes this year, or is it going to be early next yes, year? Yes, I do. I do. We've gotten into such... We've got into such a difference. I mean, when you look at historical norms, you look at leading economic indicators compared to coinciding indicators and lagging indicators, you look at the last 40 years, you have never seen a degree of separation between how negative the leading economic indicators are versus the coinciding and lagging indicators. The level, I mean, this is bigger than the great financial crisis. Now, now to be clear, the right. great financial crisis was a failure of the banking system, which is, and, and credit. And that is the lifeline. Wall Street is the lifeline of the stock market, and credit and loans is the lifeline of the U.S. economy. Both were impaired during the great financial crisis, so that's a different animal. But when you look at the right. difference between leading economic indicators uh, and, and, and coinciding indicators, the level of separation is, is now as big as the dot-com bubble. And that is a time where, again, you know, now you're talking 24 years, 23, 24 years ago, you don't have a lot of people in the financial services industry that practice during that time, that know what the data that looks like uh, and what to look for. Um, and so this, this is why I think the sell-off in the, in the stock market is going to be more akin to the dot-com bubble versus the great financial crisis, which had one shock after another shock. And again, you saw the market start to rebound after about 18 months. During the dot-com bubble, it was two and a half to three years. Uh, and again, you've already seen some of the sell-off start a year ago. But look, market's only down 15 20%. That's right, not that right. excessive. No, exactly. uh, but you need to see that 40% wipeout, uh, and we've never gotten to that point yet. Right. Well, time will tell, Mr. Graham. I, I appreciate you coming on. It's going to be a crazy week we're going into again, but one good thing is happening this week. It's baseball season. Go Rays. Go Rays is right. They're playing the Nats next week, so maybe we'll have something to talk about. Absolutely. Sounds good, David. All right. You take care. I appreciate you calling in.
Absolutely. Right, Take care. Listening to the show. Take care now. That, that was Stash Graham, our chief investment officer for managing director of Graham Capital Wealth Management. And he can help you invest properly. If you lost money last year, shame on you because you could have done something about it. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. If you really want to be lucky in life, go help someone. And God's going to smile on you and you're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. In God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute Institute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.